I'm Brian B. Um, I am one of the facilitators. There are three for this workshop. Um, I will be speaking on step one. Uh, I'm James L. I'll be speaking on step two. And I'm Maggie D. And I'll be speaking on step three. Okay. Okay. Um, so. So I will now be turning the meeting over to Maggie. Hi, I'm Maggie. I'm a compulsive overeater and one of the facilitators. Um, so first uh, we'll have Brian and then James and then me. Take it away, Brian. All right, guys. I'm Brian. I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm anorexic. I'm bulimic. I'm also an exercise addict amongst still other things. Um, it is so good to be on this conference, um, to see all of your awesome faces. Um, this meeting is a young person's um, focused meeting. However, all are welcome to attend and all are welcome to get something out of it. Um, I Qualifying. Um, my topic here today is, is on step one. Um, this is this workshop is about getting through the basics of this program um, and using the steps to achieve abstinence and, and recovery. Uh, recovery that, that, that lasts through all of life's circumstances uh, and lives a life of its own, irrespective of what, of what happens in this real world. Um, the, <laughs> I, I have three eating disorders. Um, and so walking into this program, I, I didn't know, I didn't know what my trigger foods were. I didn't know what my tr uh, eating behaviors were. Um, I, 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 had, I, had, I had no clue anything. All I knew is, is I was a mess and I needed help. Um, I walked through every eating disorder um, throughout my, my journey in life. Um, and finding recovery in each of them has been a journey. Um, so step one for me has, has, has been a crazy journey, crazy significance, um, and working through anorexia, working through bulimia, working through compulsive reading and finding balance in, quite frankly, in, in a disease that loves extremes, but it also loves the in-between, because um, that's what bulimia is. It's just cycles of binge and purge. Um, and so today I have to live a life that is, that is free, from, free from craziness. Um, and I use that specifically, that word, that word specifically. Um, I, I like to live a life that is unsustainable, um, energetically un, unsustainable. Um, and it requires simple solutions to my life's very complex problems. Um, the, and so when I got into the program, um, I, I had just gotten out of a BMI of, of 17. I walked into this program with a BMI of 21. Um, I had stopped running before I walked into this program, my exercise addiction. Um, I have stress fractures and arthritis from the knees down um, and heart problems. I experienced sudden cardiac arrest in 2014, two years before I entered the program. Um, and I uh, entered program binging on two meals a day. Um, before away, I never ate three meals a day, um, not in any of my life. Um, and I was very scared of OA because I knew that they were going to take away, take away the food, which was the only thing that was saving me from anorexia. Um, that was my fear, and I had to work through that in getting through this program. Um, this disease, recovery from this disease is, is I think, different from other addictions because it takes so much um, knowledge to incorporate the tools, to understand the physical allergy, uh, to work through powerlessness. As a young person, I, my life was unmanageable. I didn't have to lose anything because I didn't gain anything. Uh, my life was built on the crumbling foundations. Um, and so unmanageability and powerlessness kind of looks a little bit different um, 
I didn't, I almost didn't graduate high school. I almost didn't graduate college. I took six years to do a Bachelor of Science. Um, I had to withdraw because I couldn't walk to campus because my anorexia um, physically couldn't move. Um, it was, it was disastrous. Um, and working through a plan of eating, um, figuring out what my trigger foods were, what triggers my anorexia and what triggers my uh, compulsive overeating, what are my saviors, my high caloric foods that I religiously go to because they save me from my craziness, um, the, uh, what my plan of eating is, um, what my action plan is, you know, all, of the, all the tools of this program. Um, step one is working through what works and what doesn't. Um, and it just takes time. Um, I, I have experienced that it takes time to work through that. Um, I did not start my watch, so I don't know when my 10 minutes are up. Um, but I, I am very grateful, grateful for the tool of service um, to be able to speak on this conference, um, to speak about something that is very gentle important time. in my life. Brian, gentle time. You have about four more minutes. All right. Thank you, Maggie. Sure. Um, yeah. Uh, service, like I can't say my OA recovery story without service. Um, I entered program in a, in a uh, my home meeting is a 100 founders meeting. That wasn't my choice. Um, and I was thrown into service because they said I was going to be a, the, the representative to the intergroup. I showed up to intergroup. I was made intergroup rep and vice chair all in the same day. I only had four, four, four months of abstinence. And being intergroup rep, being region two rep, um, sent me to region two and I got to see the bigger picture of what region two was and what OA, the, o, the recovery from eating disorders that OA has to offer. Um, so the perspectives, um, I got to see the, the bigger picture and that was really important in my, in my journey in recovery. Um, the fellowship um, is, is vast, huge, and is a good resource. Um, and I got to work through fears of insecurity, um, fears of inadequacy, fears of not being able to do anything, fears of, of not being qualified. Um, OA gave me trust and, and faith that I don't, I didn't think I deserved and I didn't think I could do um, leadership and responsibility that I am grateful to have today. Um, and those tools I take into my uh, outside of recovery life. Um, and with that, I, I will just sum up with step one, the admission that I am powerless, um, the admission that in my own ability, I run my life into the ground, the admission that I need to rely on powers greater than myself, which will be talked about later. Um, and for me, that is the fellowship and my higher power. Um, and sitting in a state of powerlessness is the, is the realization that, um, that I will let other powers direct my life. Um, and working through the tools of this program and being open and honest and receptive to uh, suggestions on how to work those tools. Um, I'm Brian, I'm a compulsive reader, and I pass. Hi, I'm James, a compulsive overeater. Um, sorry, I'm gonna to be totally honest. I've just been <laughs> completely put off. Uh, so, um, Step two for me. So uh, first I'll just uh, qualify it. That's the, that's the easiest way. And I'll try and do it in, in three minutes. Um, I've been an, uh, an, I was an overeater as a child, no doubt about it. I was actually a restrictor first. So um, my parents had uh, issues in their marriage and I, I noticed that when I restricted food, um, 
I got them to come together in some way. It was sort of like a control aspect type of thing. And I really have only realized that through program. Um, and uh, my pattern was to uh, just eat the same food uh, three times a day uh, for three months and then move on to the next food. It tended to have something to do. It, it needed to be sweet usually. Um, and I was doing that from the age of two or three. Um, I didn't really have a vegetable in my diet until I was about 11. And I started with carrots because they were sweet. No surprise there. Um, and, and so uh, it moved from the restriction aspect of it to definitely a, a, a compulsive eating, binging aspect, which grew and grew until I then moved away from home at 17. It was the first time I was feeding myself. And there was like this, this uptick in that experience and in my experience of food, uh, which has followed me depending on when I have moved. Um, and so uh, from this accent you get, I'm not from here. So I moved from the UK to uh, New York first and there was an uptick in my disease there. Uh, and then when I moved here, it got pretty, it got pretty serious, um, for me, it got pretty serious. I, I'm, I was here for acting. I was here for modeling. I, uh, the body dysmorphia got crazy cause I was in the rooms with people who had what I consider to be incredible bodies. And I had no idea how to make that happen for myself. And I was determined I was going to make it happen. Uh, and it culminated really in, uh, uh, a diet of not eating for 16 hours and then eating and then eating everything in eight hours that I could possibly eat that was allowed that was macro counted um, and then weighing myself four times a day being annoyed with myself that I put on weight when I'd eaten I mean the two pounds that I ate I was then annoyed to see on the scale um, and uh, finally really I couldn't control that anymore so it then became binging four to five times a, uh, a week uh, and every, you know, sort of on the nightly around four o'clock, that would be my time. I'd go to the store, buy all of the shit that I like, and then I would eat it all with the curtains closed, watching television. Um, and then sort of pass out on my bed. So blackout. And then um, wake up the next morning in shame, say I'm not going to do it again. And either hold off for one day or be back in the store at 4 p.m. that evening. All right, James, it's been three minutes. Thank you so much. So that's pretty much, that is pretty much how I ended up in the rooms was my um, boyfriend at the time uh, who was in another program said, the way that you treat food is the way that I treat a certain substance. And I was not impressed with that. Um, with that, however, I had to look into it because I knew it wasn't right. I mean, I knew I knew other people didn't eat like that. I just knew it. And I would say to people, I would say to friends, like, you won't believe what I ate last night. I ate this, 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 and this. And they would say, well, you know, I don't know where you put it. They'd have a joke about it. And in my brain, I'm thinking, I know where I put it. I put it in the gym afterwards because I'm, I'm working this shit off. That's how I do it. But they didn't see that part of my life or, or they didn't see it. So, um, Brian has done powerlessness and, and unmanageability so well, came to believe in a power greater than myself uh, that would restore me to sanity. Uh, and I needed sanity around food. Like I did not have any sanity around food. My insanity looked like uh, going out for dinner, being in a restrictive mode, looking at the cookie jar that is sitting in, in you know, massive cookies at this restaurant. This is one time I remember. And I cannot tell you what this person was talking to me about because all that was going on in my brain was, am I going to have that cookie? I'm not going to have that cookie. I'm going to have that cookie. No, I'm not going to have that cookie. No, I won't have it. I will have it. No, I'm not going to have it. Like, that's the insanity of this for me. It's unmanageable. I wasn't with anyone. They are physically present with me and I was physically present with the cookie over in the corner. Um, so I was, I, I was brought up in... in the, the Protestant faith. Um, and as far as I could see it, the God I had was pretty punishing. Um, or the God I learned about was pretty punishing. Um, and so when I walked into program and it said, came to believe in a 
power greater than ourselves and lots of people were talking about God, I was like, absolutely not. Uh, I've already turned away from that, thank you very much. I have no intention of going back. And of course, the, the truth is, I remember turning away from my higher power at about 16 or 17, really making that conscious decision, like, you haven't got this, so I've got it, and controlling my life going forward. And now I was in a group of people that I could see were recovering from this. They were sharing a similar experience to the one that I was having, and they were saying, sorry, but if you really want recovery, there's got to be a bit of coming to believe in a power greater than yourself. What I love about came to believe is the word came. Uh, I've been in program for five years and I'm still coming to believe in a power greater than myself. Um, I didn't have to, uh, I didn't have to have the, the, the vision of what my higher power was other than something that was, that maybe could control or be in control of my life other than me. And I remember working a step. I've just got my workbook out here to have a look at it. And the kinds of questions about, you know, the wonderful thing about coming to believe in a power greater than myself is I get to choose what that power is. Like, it's not stated for me. It is not chosen for me. Words that other people want to say to it aren't put into my mouth. Um, and I remember sort of, if, uh, if you had a higher power, you know, these kinds of questions, what would they be? And, you know, mine was like, I got to choose non-judgmental, non-punishing, uh, unconditionally loving, uh, supportive, always there, um, wanting the best for me. Now, <laughs> having lived a life from 17 to 32 of not trusting in any kind of power, it wasn't like, okay, well, now I've said that that's what those things are. Now that that's what I've said my higher power is, then that's what my higher power is, and I'm completely with it. Absolutely not, and still absolutely not. I wish it, I wish it were sometimes, but the truth is I consistently have to come to believe in a power greater than myself that can restore me to sanity. And the beauty of the program is I have fellows that are often not in that way of putting somebody on a pedestal, but I will hear something from a fellow that is higher power sent to me. I need to hear that. Um, even in the group conscience of going to a meeting, I hear what I need to hear, or I'm supported in the way that I need to be supported, or my sponsor shows me what unconditional love is, which is what I believe my higher power wants me to, wants me to see. And the, the truth in coming to believe in a, in a power greater self and what Maggie's going to go on to is, um, you know, became willing to turn over. Um, coming to believe in that has changed my life. That's the spiritual awakening for me. And it wasn't one of these like, woo, I've had a spiritual awakening. It was slowly, gently, Sometimes a little quicker. Sometimes I'd have like, oh, wow, okay, this is what it is. But it's not, it's not, in my mind, it isn't magic. It is having faith that I will always be okay and that there is something there that wants to look after me. Um, James, you have one more minute. Thank you. The, 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 came to believe that power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. I was looking around the rooms when I walked in and I could see people who were living a sane life. Um, now, listen, I have moments of insanity now, but my whole life around food when I walked into the rooms was insane. It was my insanity around food. That example of the cookie jar is one in a, a thousand examples of how I was with food. Whether I'm gonna eat, what does my body look like? I mean. It goes on, we all know, it goes on, it goes on, it goes on. And here's the thing, I eat three meals a day and two snacks. I don't worry about what that food is. I can go to a restaurant now. Sometimes I have to check the menu before, before I go. Sometimes I don't and I can go and I can order and I can give it to God and leave it there. Um, I am now present with fellows, with friends, when I go and eat with them. Eating is just a thing of 
going to be with somebody. Um, Gentle time. Thank you. I remember somebody saying, do you uh, live to eat or do you eat to live? And I was like, who the F uh, eats to live? Who eats to live? And coming to believe in a power greater than myself has enabled me to get a balance in living to eat and eating to live. And that is, the, that is the biggest or one of the biggest gifts that my brain is not insane around the food anymore. So thank you. Thank you, James and Brian. I just wanna do a mic check. Can people hear me if I'm like this or am I very loud? Not loud. You're quite quiet. Quite quiet. You're quiet, okay. but we can hear you. I'm gonna do one more thing and see, is this any better? No, I'd say it was better before. Better before. How about this? That's much better. Yes. <laughs> and it looks it. so cool. And I'm gonna get real close to my camera because this is not a very long cord. All right, hi everyone. Um, How would you do uh, time, Maggie? Oh, um, just, um, just three, like, Whatever I did for you <laughs> was fine. Thanks. Hi, I'm Maggie. I am a compulsive overeater. Um, I'm going to pretend I heard arousing. Oh, there are the waves. Hi, waves. <laughs> um, and this is very cool. This is little thing on my mouth. For those of you who are not watching me, I've got my cord over my face. Um, so thank you, Brian and uh, James. That was really great. And just so people know, we're a, we're a committee. We're a young person's committee uh, for Region 2. Uh, so um, I'll just qualify uh, for the first couple minutes as both a compulsive overeater and also a young person in OA. Um, I came into OA mm, five years ago, and... Um, I have com compulsive overeating and restricting and some sort of mild exercise, uh, compulsive exercising in my history. Um, I never had a lot of uh, weight loss or gain, um, but I've been probably, I don't know, 20 pounds more and 10 pounds less or something roughly like that. Um, as I said, I'm a young person, and um, I've been really grateful that in the place where I live and came into OA, there's been a lot of young people. And I appreciate people who are older in the program, people who came in when they were young, and there was something about hearing the stories of people my age and the things like I mean, this, anyone at any age can go through this, but I just want to particularly welcome the people who are young and maybe feel like this is a weird, the name of this thing, Overeaters Anonymous, oh my God, that's the most unsexy thing I've ever heard of. You know, like who in their right mind would want to be part of that at any age? Um, so uh, anyway, I just feel so grateful to have been able to get past that name and like into the program. <laughs> um, I used to eat a lot of particularly sugar and um, I would go on these binges and you kind of, you probably know, everybody knows the story, but um, it's the same as yours or, or the same mind, the addict mind is there. Um, I, um, I just, there was a big part of my brain that was all about, I mean, just like James um, described, like, am I going to eat it? Am I not going to eat it? Who's going to see me if I eat it? What do I have to do to work it off? Do I have to not eat? I was never good at restricting. I would do it for a little while and then I would binge. At the end of every restriction is a binge for me. And I think that's one of the things that I've had to, I haven't had to realize, but like if I was going to go to any lengths to be abstinent, like that's just something I have to know about myself is that in whenever I even start to restrict a little bit, I, I, I'm going to binge on the other end. Um, That's three minutes, Maggie. Thank you, James. Um, so the step I'm going to talk about is um, step three, which is made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God. And I'm, I'm reading a couple things out of this book, the 12 steps and 12 traditions of overeaters anonymous. It's the over, it's the old version but it's the one I have highlighted. <laughs> so, um, 
there's a lot of really, really good things about step three. Um, God is our direct line into our minds and hearts. I want to say that I was not someone who believed in a God before this um, program, but I always knew that there was something out there. You know, I would like go to the ocean and feel something bigger than myself. And I think once I realized in program that that's what I was tapping into, like not, not this um, religious God that I didn't relate to, that um, it could be really what, what works for me. That was what, then I was like, oh, well, I believed in God forever. <laughs> like I just didn't call it God. And for me, I decided to call it God because it's easier. Like it's, I actually had to make it work for me to call it God because it's all over the literature. And it's just, if I can relate to that three letter word and like take all the past stuff and all of my former judgments out of that and just like see it as a word, I just get so much more of what the recovery is from this program that it offers. Um, so yeah, it talks in this, in this book about God being the inner resource to our intuition. Um, so it wasn't like this outside thing. And I have to say, when I, when I, re I repeat step, the first three steps to myself every morning on my knees at my bedside when I get up, and, uh, and with a couple other prayers from program, and when I say this step, uh, I say, made a decision to turn my will, thoughts, and my life, my actions over to the care of God as I understood God. So I think about my will being my thoughts and my life being my actions. And that's kind of more relatable for me than will and life. I'm like, what is that? Those are huge <laughs> concepts. I don't know what that means. So um, I'm always thinking about God, please guide my thinking and my actions. And I think that's in maybe eight, page 86 or 87 out of the big book, but God, please guide my thinking and actions. Um, so it says in this book, uh, we give up fear and indecision, knowing that if we are sincere, our higher power will give us the knowledge of our best course in life, along with the willingness and ability to follow that course, even when it seems difficult and uncomfortable. And I had to, I had to write it out for myself. So in learning God's will, I think this is from different, a different part of this book, refer to your experience, knowledge, common sense, <laughs> intuition, and the wisdom of spiritual mentors. So, <clears throat> so yeah, turning, turning my will and my life over to God as I understand God. Um, it means, as this book says, acting, instead of acting on impulse, we pause long enough to learn God's will. Then instead of resorting to willpower, we relax. Oh my God, when have I ever relaxed? I don't relax when I'm a compulsive overeater. I like reach out and and for food, you know, but instead I have to put, if I'm going to go to any lengths for abstinence, this has to be my way of living. I mean, otherwise I, I'm a compulsive overeater and I'm going to reach for food or I'm going to reach for a restriction and then I'm going to reach for food. So it becomes a real like personal spiritual conundrum um, that is solvable. I mean, not conundrum, but like, <clears throat> calling in a way like this step um relaxing reaching out to receive help from this higher power the higher power that's um loving and accepting and is always there for me and like and always wants my best interest you know i mean sometimes i really wish other people could be that but like they're not always going to be there and not always going to want me, <laughs> my, my, uh, <laughs> they're not always going to want, um, what's best for me because they're people and they want what's best for them too. You know, I mean, that's fine. But this higher power, like this thing can really, if I, if I relax, which means I, you know, I'm not kind of reaching out, trying to do something, and I relax. Um, it's amazing. My higher power speaks to me. I don't, I, my higher power helps me let go of what I need to let go of um, and helps me pick up what I need to pick up 
which is never food, <laughs> unless it's abstinent food. Um, yeah, so, gosh, 10 minutes is a long time. <laughs> um, so I just love this step. It says we can confidently face any situation life brings because we no longer have to face it alone. We have what we need anytime we are willing to let go of self-will and humbly ask for help. And that doesn't mean like, that doesn't always mean another person. I know that I, I grew up um, not trusting myself. One minute. Thank you. Um, so actually it's interesting. My higher power sometimes comes through other people. Um, and more often than, than I thought, especially during this shelter in place time when I'm alone a lot, um, my higher power comes through me, you know, like I'm surprised at how much I know how to take care of myself. If I just like feel my feelings, which are totally terrible sometimes. And I hate them. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. You know, and I, I get the help I need when I need it to be able to survive my feelings. And then, um, yeah, next right actions, just, just like start pouring in, you know? Um, so sometimes my higher power, turning my, turning my will and life over to my higher power isn't like fun, but it's not hurting me. That's how, part of how I know that it's my higher powers. And I, I'm not hurting myself. Thank you. So, um, yay, that's it. <laughs> I see Debbie F. Uh, thank you all for this. And I'm going to make a positive joke right now. My story is I'm 34 years old and sticking to it. <laughs> I uh, um, appreciate all your talk and sharing. Um, could any of you or I just have to say, Maggie, I really appreciate your comments on spirituality. Uh, it, it, it's so meaningful to me personally. But on a pragmatic level, could any or all of you share if you have any pragmatic daily practices? Thank you, Debbie. Brian or James, would you like to answer? Uh, I can. So, uh, I'll time you for two minutes. Is that okay? That's fine. Thank okay. you. Um, so... Thank you for the question. The question is pra pragmatic ways or, or things that we do. Uh, I am getting more into meditation. That is one thing. It's taken me a lot. It's taken me a long time, actually. Uh, it's one of it, it, it's like the one thing where I've been like, no, I don't, I don't want to. Or the still that fight in me to just put it off and put it off. Uh, so currently, it's around ten minutes a day. That's what I manage. Um, I tend to go for um, guided rather than, than not, somebody telling me what to do. Uh, and I have found that to, that connection with self and, and my higher power quietly is helping me to really, I'm finding it helping me to not get hooked into my thoughts just throughout the day. What's important, what's not important. It's just allowing the flow of life to happen. So, so meditation for me is proving to be helpful. And then um, I, I, I was going to say I enjoy prayer. I don't know that I do, um, but I do pray. And I found that to be helpful from doing step two and three. And the, the thing that really got me into prayer was um, upon awakening. Can't remember if it's 80, page 86, something like that. And just what I did was I bullet pointed the key elements of what, of what is being asked of me on awakening and what is being asked of me to ask God for help with. And that really uh, did create the foundation of my prayer and to allow myself to give that stuff up to God has enabled me to change what I pray for or change the, the pattern. But um, both of those things, meditation and prayer, have been have been very helpful in in the in the spirituality side for me and the connection of self and connection to a higher power. Gentle time. Right. Brian, would you like to answer that? 
Yeah, Brian Compulsive Reader. Um, daily practices, like, because this is, I'm on step one, and so, not on, but I'm talking about step one, and the mindfulness. I think it's very important for me to be aware of what's going on. Um, being aware of what's going on in my mind, uh, what's going on in in, in the world, um, I got outside of myself, like my vocation, my home life, my just like what are my priorities, um, and and get my tools in order, um, my my plan of eating and my action plan and my service and my uh, going to meetings, um, being very intentional about like a quasi step zero, you know, chapter five of the big book, you know, if you if you want what we have and we're willing to go to any lengths to get it. Um, then join us. Um, and so mindfulness, being conscious, conscious of what I'm, I'm thinking. Um, my job is very remedial. It's a lot of time just standing, uh, collecting, and I'm a glorified insect vacuumer. And so I'm, I'm paid for it. But I, I stand and walk around for eight hours a day. Um, and I count from one to 100, probably about 20 times that day in that span of eight hours. And so that, that it's very repetitive, it's very meditative. And if I don't have my brain in order, in, centered in my higher power, centered in my powerlessness, centered in, in, in mindfulness of what's going on, then I will throw myself into oblivion with resentments, angers, fears, and contemplations of other diseases and, and, and craziness. Um, and so that's kind of what I do practically. Um, Gentle time. Yeah, that's what I do practically. Um, being aware, like I can't know what my trigger foods are if I'm not aware of what I'm doing. Um, journaling is also really important, but um, I'm Brian, I'm a compulsive reader. Thanks, Brian. Um, I'll just weigh on that really quick too. I, spirit, my spiritual practice are um, I have pretty long morning and evening routines, but you got to do what you got to do, <laughs> you know? Um, so I, yeah, get on my knees. I say the first, second, third step. I think I say the third, I can't remember what prayer it is, third or seventh. And then um, I, during, I say the serenity prayer and I say a list of a lot of things that I'm powerless over. So I'll say I'm powerless over, um, morning god let's see what do i say i power powerless powerless over people places things situations you know work my job i mean i have like it's probably about 10 things um that i'm powerless over that i just remind myself i meditate i meditate 30 minutes a day in the morning every morning um i find that for my brain that is what really helps me and i just make time for it um, yeah, because I mean, like these guys have said, I, um, I need it. <laughs> and then, um, I also do like, I did do the, the reading and for today, which is this little white book, uh, every morning. And I read it out loud. Um, I say steps 86 and 87 and I've made it kind of a, like a prayer, um, for myself for, um, God, please help me do those things. So, um, yeah, and meetings. Um, so I'll end there. Um, does the next person is Bronwyn Simmons. Hi, um, as a young person, I'm wondering how you dealt with issues that came up with your family. Um, I still live with mine and I'm running into some issues. I'm very new to the program where they don't understand things like weighing and measuring and it scares them, or they don't like the idea of my, as they put it, controlling my food, um, which of course I'm trying to do the opposite, <laughs> but they, since they don't have experience with the program, they um, actually are pretty against what I'm doing, while of course I'm trying to heal my disease and recover from it. So. Do you have any advice for young people who are dealing with family and parents, especially? Can I? James, uh, 
different program, Compulsive Arita. Uh Bronwyn, that's a, a great question. It's something I can really relate to. Um, so for me, it was about getting, uh, it was about getting uh, based in a foundation of, do I trust my sponsor and is my sponsor supporting me? And does my sponsor support me in these decisions? And do they believe that I'm safe in what I'm choosing for myself? Because I, you know, I'm not, my brain is not healthy around the food. So someone in the program is able to tell me, usually able to tell me like, you're restricting, you're not restricting. This is a good way for you to work. This seems to work for you. All of those things that we are able to choose our own abstinence or God gives us our own abstinence. The home side of things, my, my uh, mother doesn't understand not eating sugar because she doesn't have an issue with it. My grandmother didn't understand that either. So they would offer me things that they considered to have little amounts of sugar in it. And I'd be like, no, you, you're, not, you're not understanding what's going on here. I don't eat that. And there's this raise of the eyebrows. The, the, what I can share with you is it's very powerful because I want to please them. Mm-hmm. And I have to separate my abstinence and what is good for me apart from my parents who don't actually know what's good for me in this, in this instance. And whatever their discomfort is, is nothing to do with me. I know that they're uncomfortable, but I have to live this because this is the only way that I found sanity. So you can eat sugar. You can do what you do. I have to continue to do what I do. And I, I just want to share with you that I understand the difficulty in that. But it does come down to, I think, how is my program? How are my fellows? Who am I supporting myself with? And um, just knowing that that's my abstinence. And is it because I want to please them that I'm, that I'm getting involved in whatever's going on for them around us? Gentle time. Thank you. Brian, want to share? Sure. I'm Brian. I'm a compulsive reader. Um, yeah, I see a combination of step one and step two in this. Um, the, the purpose of step one is to know my history. Um, if to, to, to know what, what does my history tell me about my food? Um, and once I work out my food histories, step two is really about, do I trust, uh, how like my, my foundation, um, uh, if I know about my history and I now am in the fellowship and I am I and, and the history of working through this program um, trusting a little bit seeing it work, trusting a little bit more seeing it work and working through my, through my sponsor and, and knowing through examples in, in, in life that my, my sponsor really does have what's best for me um then I, I can trust. Um, the, on the anorexic spectrum, uh, it's one of the tools in another program that deals with that is a, a meal support sponsor. And so if you are a young person and you are relying on your parents for the, the, the providing of meals, um, that's, um, that is, that's difficult. Um, when when your meal provider is is not supportive, um, so there's a level of self care, a level of, um, and it, again, if it, if anorexia is in the mix, not knowing what a portion size is and not knowing what a healthy meal looks like, um, is is also something to be worked through with a sponsor. Um, this won't be answered here, but um, not having the meal support. Is, is really difficult. Um, Gentle time. And so, yeah, I, I think, yeah, find someone who has that life experience and really work through them um, and ask the questions, get, get some good answers. Um, but yeah, I'm Brian, I'm a compulsive reader. Thanks. Uh, Lee B. Hi, I'm Lee and I'm a compulsive eater from uh, Palm Springs. And my question to you guys is, um, well, first of all, I'd like to say that I was not really young when I came into OA. I was 38, 
I will be 73, and I wish I could say I've been abstinent all those years, but I haven't been. But my question is, do you go specifically to young people's meetings all the time? I know you live in an area where there are going to be a, a lot more chances of having those meetings. Or have you walked into meetings and felt like you were out of place because you were the youngest person there and everybody in the room you probably could have called grandma or grandpa? And how did they make you feel? And how can we, as older people, uh, especially out here in Palm Springs, the, the retirement capital of the world, when we get somebody in a meeting who's 30, we think we've got, you know, we've struck oil as far as getting a young person. How do we treat you to make you feel welcome so that you will want to come back? Because I just love listening to you young people today with so many great ideas that I either haven't heard in many years or something's new. I hope I didn't ask too many questions. No, thank you, Lee. I'll start. Um, thank you very much for the question. I think uh, for me, um, I'm lucky in that I came, there aren't any young person specific meetings where I live, but there are just a lot of younger people. I'm timing myself here. Okay. Um, there's a lot of younger people. Um, I don't think I ever felt unwelcome, although I have to say when people, when there's a lot of people in the meeting that say, oh, I, you're so lucky. I wish I had come in before you. I had to suffer so much. Like young people suffer a lot too. <laughs> you know, we don't, you don't have to be you know, doing this for years and years and years to have really, really suffered or hurt your body. So I guess just to say like, just a plain welcome is great. You know, we're just members too. Um, and yeah, kind of just treating us like people, <laughs> just like we try to treat people who are older in the program like people. Um, and, um, you know, if there's anyone and just kind of remembering how it is to be younger. And I don't know, I mean, I'm in my 30s, but I think as someone, especially maybe in their 20s, I've, I hear people just like really um, have a lot of stigma about coming to these programs. And so anything to do to like help them feel welcome and just say, you know, just, just, welcome we're glad you're here you know just the simple not we're glad you're here because you're young but like we're glad you're here just like we're glad everybody's here um and i think i can't remember if there are other questions but i'll let my fellows um answer if they'd like to thank you for the question uh lee i'm i'm in la and um the first meeting that i walked into uh, was what I would consider to be an old, older meeting. Um, and I, I feel like uh, the welcome that I received, here's what I needed to hear was the experience. And um, here's what I've heard in young person's meetings that I relate to maybe more is that it's just about it's just about the time frame, right? So, if I'm talking about zero to thirty-eight, someone who's seventy, my experience so far is that they will talk about maybe from marriage onwards, and so that is absolutely. I just have to be in the frame of mind of looking for the similarities rather than the differences. You know, that's my job too. Is What's the, what's the similarities here? And I was able to hear them and I feel very fortunate about that because it's about the behavior with food and it's about my mind. I would say that if you have or remember any experiences of sort of, you know, teenage, 20 year old, that you see a newcomer and they're young, share some of that. That, would, that is so helpful because, because that, I've been in a young person's meeting where I suddenly hear, oh, I was doing this at university or I was doing this when I was like, when I just left home and there's this light bulb that happens for me where I was like that there, I did that for sure at the same time. So, I mean, the fact is we are different. We are at a different point in our, in the recovery, you know, and our life. So I, would, I think the, the sharing of experience and strength and hope was the most important thing. And if you have any memories of that time that was maybe in your teens and twenties, Share some of that on that day. 
Gentle time, thanks. I think I'm just gonna move on to Chelsea because we wanna get this last question in. Chelsea, would you like to ask your question? Hi, I'm Chelsea. I'm a um, compulsive eater and recovering bulimic. Um, if it's okay, I'm gonna just kind of throw out a little bit of my experience as a um, young person-ish. I don't know, I don't feel that young. <laughs> Um, but I also have a question towards the end. Um, I came in the rooms when I was like 22 and I had just, uh, come out of an eating disorder outpatient, um, where I did not fit in. Um, I was kind of told to be quiet a lot, uh, because I wasn't super thin. Um, and, uh, I wasn't solely anorexic, um, you know, just cause I didn't restrict 24 seven, they were like, well, you're fine. <laughs> you just, you know, you go, you go do your compulsive eating and, you know, laxative abuse. That sounds great. Um, and I'm just so grateful that I came in the rooms because it saved my goddamn life. Um, I am 34. I live with a ton of chronic illness. Um, and I would be dead if I was still puking. I would absolutely be dead. I, you know, I believe that you know, some people can, can walk in when they're 60 and they'll make it. I would have never made it to 60. I wouldn't be alive. Um, and anyone who knows my story knows that that's true. So, um, I, uh, I just wanted to share that, that like, it's never too early to get recovery and it comes in layers for me. Um, you know, it wasn't like I just got struck abstinent from everything and it's all perfect. And, you know, it wasn't all rainbows and butterflies, um, even though sometimes I look out my window and see a butterfly, which is amazing. Um, but I, you know, it comes in layers and I just have to keep coming back um, and not forget um, why I'm here. So I wanted to share that. Hopefully that helps someone. If it doesn't, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, anyway, my question is, how did you guys get involved in this whole, like, young person's panel. I didn't even know this was a thing. I've been in the program like 12 years and I, I feel like I missed out. So <laughs> if you can tell me how to get involved with young people, I would love to know. <laughs> um, let me know. Yeah, that's my question. Maggie, that's for you. All right, I guess that's for me. Uh, sure. <laughs> Well, I'm the chair of the Young Persons Committee. Maybe that's why James is punting that to me. But yay, Chelsea, that's exciting. Um, well, we, I mean, I don't, I just showed up, man. I just showed up and I, someone invited me to intergroup a while ago, a long time ago. And then I was in intergroup and then they were like, you should be a region two rep. And I was like, okay. Um, and so I got into region two and, um, then at region two, they were like, you should be in the young persons committee. It just, you know, that happens. So I guess my answer to that is, um, like seek out your inter local intergroup and see what you can do. There are young people's, um, you're welcome to join. Let me know. I think we might be connected. Let me know if you want to be part of the young persons committee on, um, I see, I think, anyway, I'm not sure how quite that, how, how that would work, but, um, there, yeah, just basically intergroup and then go from there. Um, thanks everyone. That was really fun. Sorry if I didn't get to see you or call your name out.